Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace. I'm so excited this week. We are joined by Erica Corday, who's dedicated her life to expanding how others interact with the world through powerful conversations. As an entrepreneur and certified coach, her work is frequently focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, imperfect allyship, and imposter syndrome. This work has taken her across the country, onto stages, and into communities as a keynote speaker and educator. Erica also has a podcast that features open conversations and dialogue on the topics of her work and so much more. It's called Pause on the Play. Her support and leadership facilitates engaged conversations within six-figure communities, international podcasts, and live events to connect people and create change. Thank you so much for joining us, Erica. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for having me, Alyssa. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes, I like being on this side of the interview table. <laughs> so different, right? <laughs> yes, it is. I love to kick it off with this one question, which actually turns out to be a pretty difficult question. But I'm curious if there's one person or a few people that you would like to thank even for just helping you become the incredible professional today, who would they be and why? Um, the interesting thing for me is I always kind of have a, a love-hate uh, kind of relationship with the question um, because part of it is the fact that I am someone that believes, you know, that kind of concept of you can go it alone, but you go further together. So I definitely know that, you know, you don't, for the most part, what you achieve really does come from it being a community effort. Um, however, being someone that doesn't, fit neatly in that box of like, you know, my mom helped me or my dad helped me and, you know, those kinds of things. It's always kind of tough because I don't fit into the kind of those societal boxes as to who was that support system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, um, I was given a lot of what not to do. So <laughs> a part of it has been that along the way, but um, I've just been really fortunate up to this point to have had some people that simply just wanted to see me win. And one of those happens to be, you know, my business partner and my uh, podcast co-host, India Jackson. And that, I mean, we've been friends for well over 10, 12 years, and we've always been invested in seeing each other win just because. And that's a, a thing that I've embodied unknowingly and have now embraced consciously in the sense that there is more than enough for everyone. And so seeing others win and really supporting others and achieving what success looks like for them, it's something that has just been embedded in, you know, our friendship and our business relationship. And it's a huge part of just how we approach just kind of life in general. And so it's definitely showed up professionally. Oh, I love that so much. And even you know, to have somebody or or a support system in any type of way to to that phrase, like to see you win, I think is 
I love how you phrase that. I think it's so it's so cool. And to know, you know, we all have different types of support system or what we view as that. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that and, and recognizing that. I think that's, it's so incredible that you've found really a business partner that you support one another. And I'm a huge fan too of, of community over competition. There's enough business. It might not feel like it right now, um, but there's yeah. enough stuff out there um, for everybody. Agree. I, I think sometimes people can have this moment of scarcity and they look at it like pie and it's like, it's not pie. The pieces will not run out. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's okay. Right now, but <laughs> yes, that's a great example. <laughs> right now. Yes, it is. It is not toilet paper. It is not. I promise you. <laughs> but I would love if you can just share with our listeners a little bit about, I think you have a great career, just your interesting, you know, career experience, what you're working on and, and what really got you started um, in diversity and equity in the inclusion space. So um, a, a big chunk of it for me was the more I am kind of um, digging into my story and how I am bringing that to life through the work I do, I'm really coming across more and more of how diversity, equity, and inclusion as standalone and related themes has been embedded in me, in my DNA since before birth. Um, You know, having um, a a mother that was was coming up during like the civil rights era and having a, you know, my grandmother was fair enough to pass, my mother could not. And so that already instilled certain things. And then, once my mother became an adult, you know, having a job that um, put her squarely in the middle of a lot of racism, being a black woman, having a job that was traditionally a white man's job, being a still worker, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And really coming across a lot of my particular tastes or likes. So like as a kid, I, I love new kids on the block and really coming squarely. <laughs> I'm dating myself here. Um, <laughs> squarely, I'm with you. I had like the sleeping bag and everything. (laughs) (laughs) See, exactly. And so, you know, being a Black woman that, you know, enjoyed music for music's sake, and then having to run across people's preconceived notions as to what that meant about how I perceived myself, and really seeing how, excuse me, this this has been a thing, you know, long term, and then becoming an adult, being um, a hairstylist for over 20 years, I before I even became a coach, was kind of coaching people through how to embrace their natural hair texture, despite worrying about whether or not it would undermine their professionalism or authority in a professional setting. And so when I began, you know, really stepping into coaching and, you know, becoming a certified coach, taking my my classes and everything, I, it really started to become clear that, This is something that I had always done, but now I was owning it and doing it intentionally versus this is just simply how I am. And I realized that, yes, it was a part of me at my core, but I wanted this to be a part of how I use my voice. Um, As a Black woman married to a white woman with children that are half me and half him, this Mm -hmm. tempers how I move through the world. And so it's not only what I do, but the particular experiences that I have that no one else can duplicate uh, colors, the lens through which I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And such a large part of that is having people to question what is normal to them and those preconceived notions and the things that are kind of systemically programmed that are a big part of why there's even a need for the work that we do. Mm 
because if it wasn't for that programming, then there wouldn't be as much of a need for it. So for me, it's really getting people to understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a piece of what I do, and it's a topic, but it's really using that as a way to get into how this fuses into all the other aspects of your life and your work and your business and what you're building, because the mindsets that fuel it are the things that you're really trying to get. And that goes far beyond the board, the boardroom. Oh, yeah. I, I want to unpack a little bit about what you said, because, I mean, it really, it is, I mean, so many different experiences that we've had, whether we're conscious of them or not, shape who we are and, and how we view different things. Um, you know, as you're, you're talking about kind of growing up and listening to different types of music and, you know, with children, how... Or like, what are even the first stages for somebody to, to recognize? Because I think you're so rooted sometimes in, in who you are and you're not even realizing what's happening. How can we, I don't want to use that reference, but I am anyway, like pull back the onion a little bit to find those layers mm-hmm. and realize what make us who we are and, and to make adjustments from there. I think one of the first things is just the willingness to um, acknowledge and begin to have that awareness of things mm-hmm. because you can't dig into anything, to actually uncover anything, to dismantle it until you're willing to just acknowledge that it exists. And there has to be a willingness to question what you've always done and the reason why you've always done it that way. And whether or not that is your story or one that was given to you, whether or not that is something that you find to be true and it actually serves you and those that you serve, um, you know, inherently or that's just what you've been told or conditioned to believe is the way it has to be done. So I feel like it really does start with that willingness to say, does this work? Do I believe this because I choose to believe it or just kind of because that's what I've done? That's true. I mean, you can't make any changes, right? Until you start to realize that there's something that needs to be made. And I, I think sometimes people skip that step. (laughs) You know, it's like change is happening to you, but you're like not ready to make it Mm -hmm. happen, you know, and that's tough. And it is. And that's why, like, so for example, I have a client and she kind of started in one place and, you know, months down the road now, it's just kind of like, oh, this is not where I started. This is not what I thought. But I also can't unsee what I've seen kind of like Mm -hmm. that, you know, from the matrix, the red pill, blue pill kind of thing. It's like, I, I I can't go back, and yet I now understand that there's still a lot more work to be done, and what I thought is definitely not kind of what it is, but you start wherever you start, and there's no way to know until you do start and you begin to work through that process and that journey because that's exactly what it is. And like, what experiences have you, I mean, that can be so alarming, right? Especially for your client to, to see something she wasn't ready to see. How do Mm -hmm. you even acknowledge it and and try to move past it or, you know, even embrace it? I just, it's so, you know, it's a scene in a movie where you just like weren't ready and it just shocked you and you, you know, Mm -hmm. have to work through it and you can't unsee it. How, how do you even start to like realize that this is where you need to go and and this is what's happening. So part of it is the reason why I can't I can't truly dump you in the deep end to start with. Yeah. So, you know, so for example, if someone starts from what may be considered a more surface or vain place of like, you know, I don't want to be perceived this way, I want to work on 
how I am doing, you know, it, it feels very I, I, I centric. Um, and I can't at that place then dump every ounce of social justice on you and expect you to get it. Like this doesn't, you're not going to, you're going to rebel and you're going to run the other way because if anything, it's, it is jarring and it's too much at one time. And so kind of letting people find their process, like not to the point that I am just fully passive, but kind of understanding and trusting the fact that you wanted to do this, but I have to let you do it in your own time is a part of it. But then the other side is that, once you are stepping to that place of like, oh, I am stepping forward and trusting that there is ground under my feet, but I can't see it. That's that place where it's like, ah, okay, you're beginning to see these things that you can't unsee that you were looking for, but you couldn't find words for them. And so that for me is where I, um, you know, really kind of get people to step into imperfect action and through that imperfect allyship, because I don't believe that there's a perfect way to do it. And I believe that that piece of perfection is the enemy of you doing anything. And so therefore really supporting people from a place of compassion yeah. and tough love in the sense that like, I won't let you sit in inability or unwillingness or privilege to your own detriment. However, I'm also not here to shame you. If you feel shame, it's because that's your, you know, kind of, nervous system or or brain or spirit saying, hey, there's something here to pay attention to, but not because I am telling you that this is what you need to do or this is wrong. So being able to, you know, be supportive and firm yet compassionate because it's not an easy thing yep. to go with what you've always done. And all of a sudden now there's this hard break and it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And there's a lot of reprogramming almost that has to happen. And so cracking the whip with kind of what I so lovingly call a diversity dominatrix approach. It's not helpful. <laughs> no, it's, and I would love to hear, I mean, you, you mentioned it now and, and it's, it's obviously one of the things you talk about a lot, um, but imperfect allyship. I love to hear more about that as well as equity and, and really equity and equality, like the differences between them, even at work. Cause I think, you know, even if we talk a little bit more about an imperfect allyship, I think it can be tough um, for somebody to be an ally. I've seen in many situations where the people, you know, want to do good, right? They want to be an ally, but they don't understand or recognize their privilege and don't know what to do in that situation or other people who stand back and don't say anything. What is your real definition of imperfect allyship and how, what does that look like at work? Imperfect allyship is essentially you saying that I can see that there are things that I take for granted that I have easy um, access to that mm -hmm. you don't. So whether that's, you know, capital, whether that's opportunities, whether it's mentorship, um, recognition, just simply being able to be visible and be seen as an equal. Um, that allyship is really saying, you don't have what I take for granted, and that's not okay. And I want to change that because there's any number of things that you are rallying around the lack of. And so the, the main thing to me is definitely just the ability to safely um, be visible in, in, in life period, let alone within business, and to be able to have that seat at the table and an actual voice in what's, what's, what's being done and what's happening. And so that, that allyship is saying, I am in support of you and what it is that you want, not what I think you should have, what it is that you want and need to feel safe. And 
there are times that you're not going to do it perfectly, but that's where you, you know, you apologize, you make amends and you see where you can go forward and do it differently the next time. But that process of, if I don't do this perfectly, then I can't do it means that you then stay in silent complicity and then nobody benefits from that. So that imperfect allyship is a step in the direction of equity and you know, the interesting thing is I do think that sometimes um, it can mistakenly be conflated that equity and equality are the same things. And to me, they are not. Um, equality is about people being considered equal, being able to be given equal things, equal opportunity, equal access, equal visibility. But that does not take into consideration where the starting line is not the same. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is where equity comes in. And there's this great graphic that I, I do not know whose it is. I've seen it in multiple places. I reference it often. If anybody knows, please tell me. Um, and it is essentially three people standing at a fence and there's a tall, a medium and a shorter person standing there. And if you think about equity, if they're standing there, the taller person already has the advantage over the shortest person mm-hmm. because they can see over that fence. If you give them all the same box, That does not change the fact that that shortest person still cannot see. Putting a hole in the fence still does not change the fact that that shortest person is still having to look through the fence. The entire goal is to get rid of the fence. And that is where equity begins to create equality. And so I feel like it really needs to be addressed that the entire point of equity is to sub in what is not there? That absence of something is why equality doesn't exist. And that is what you are addressing, but it still is worthy of addressing that you are having to fix something that shouldn't be fixed. So yes, you can fix it, but how can you make it so it is not broken to begin with? Oh, it's an amazing description. And I and I want to, like the example that you mentioned, even the image is so relatable um, in terms of different heights of different people and having something that blocks your view, especially being 5'2". This is something I face all the time. (laughs) Um, But I think that puts it in such perspective for everyone. Um, I think oftentimes when we, you know, talk about different races and genders, and if you can't identify in some type of way with it, you don't understand why both equality and equity is so important. And it's so many conversations I have within organizations where they view them essentially the same and they, they're they very different and they need to be able to work together. Um, so thank you for sharing that that image. It's just, it's the perfect example. Of course. Um, and it's, This is a part of where, again, for me, that imperfect allyship can come in for people to step into because if you don't clearly get it or you feel like, I don't understand why this is a thing, then that means that this is a part of what you take for granted within your normal and it is worthy of you asking and having that conversation with someone else and actually hearing where they're coming from to see what their experience is. Because number one, it's going to give you the opportunity to open up um, your consciousness to see that your reality is not the only reality and begin to see that there are things that, again, you take for granted and they're based on assumption that it's not the same for everyone. And so when you can begin to wrap your head around that concept, that's an integral part of it. And that's, and, and that's all about privilege. And I think sometimes people are nervous to say that word or recognize that they have privilege, but it mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not about 
access to money, right? It's all of those things that you mentioned um, that give us or each individual a unique privilege that we don't realize, you know, even being able to not think about what restroom I need to go to in the mall, that's a privilege. Um, And it's not something that we every day think about. Um, So thank you too for bringing that. I do, I want to talk a little bit about in the inclusion statements, because I think that's so interesting um, what what you've been doing and helping organizations create these. Can you share a little bit, one, about what inclusion statements are, and if you have an example of one that you've worked on or created with an organization? Sure. Um, so the inclusion statement. So what I've kind of been doing recently that I've found can sometimes be helpful is um, in a lot, of, a lot of ways, an inclusion statement can feel like one of those standard things along with like mission and vision and things like that. And what I found is that inclusion as just kind of the word itself can feel very static. And so I've tried to move toward inclusivity because of it indicating action. Mm-hmm. Because inclusion as something that you decide on and it lives and dies in a document is not helpful. The entire point is to figure out what this thing is and how you can live out this this value that you're imparting in it in the actual actions that are being taken. So an example is I have a client, um, Morgan Hamill, and her business is The Garment. And when we started, part of it was just, you know, she had a very inclusive community, which was a beautiful thing, because it's not an easy thing to build that and to really create something where people feel visible and seen, and yet it's not about it taking something from someone else in order to be visible. And her work with me was really around trying to figure out not only how to step into kind of the, the, the next step in evolution of what the, the garment was creating, but also how could it be explicitly stated and then carried out in action, you know, who is included in the decisions that are made here, who is welcome, who is a part of the community that is made up here. And it was really being able to explicitly state that, you know, sex, age, gender, size, economic status, the types of things that sometimes are taken for granted and not included, because very often inclusion, um, honestly, diversity, equity, inclusion, any of these, you know, topics as a whole gets mistakenly watered down to black and white. Mm -hmm. And that is not what it is. It's so much bigger than that. And so for her, it was very much that, you know, just as much as she wanted a, a black woman, a white man or anyone else to feel included, she wanted this non-binary 65 year old person to also feel included. And so it really was going through and seeing who comprises your community, whose voices um, are being heard or whose voices aren't being heard enough and really making sure that it was speaking to what their needs and wants were and what is it that would make them feel seen and heard and appreciated. And so we went through a lot of the information that they had received through surveys Mm -hmm. and actually took the, the way that people spoke about themselves and other people in the room and what they wanted. And it wasn't a statement that was made because this was what the brand wanted. This was the statement that was made because this was what the people wanted. And to me, that made a huge difference 
versus, yeah, I'm going to do this because I think that this, this will be good for you mm -hmm. versus I heard what you asked for and I'm going to respond in kind and address that need. Wow. I, well, so many things I really liked about what you're saying. One is I see it often, you know, when a company or, you know, you'll send out an engagement survey or whatever type of survey and they do nothing with the results. You're asking questions of people yes. and not compiling yes. together, which just really frustrates people. But in this type of situation, you know, I've seen two organizations will create, maybe not call it an inclusion statement, but we'll have something. And it's a very small group of people that are creating these values for the organization, which is ironic because it's supposed to be an inclusion statement. So to mm -hmm. get other people's opinions, you know, of what inclusion means to them, because it's so different, right? We each want something different, or I even use the phrase, you know, I'll tell managers, ask their employees, how do you like to seek praise? We all want things differently. Um, so I, I very much appreciate the, the asking people, compiling it, putting it together and creating something that people feel like their own and they're a part of. And when you have buy-in, I would imagine that they would keep this, you know, close to them and be able to share it and share the values. Correct. And that's where, you know, it was very important to be able to go beyond just skin tones, ages, abilities, and to be able to go into those deeper levels that people were specifically asking for. And that was reflected not only in their inclusion statement, but it was also a part of the community guideline. So it was reflected in how this community was created to be self-governing and how, you know, who was a part of this self-governing and how these people were, um, it was important for them to not only be represented, but to be able to leave space for everybody to be represented, but that um, you, you know what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. And so you can see what it is that someone else probably wants. And this is from a place of like, again, those basic kind of, you know, safety types of things. And so it was something that when we talked about it, it was reflected in multiple places. And I think that's what really has triggered for me going toward inclusivity versus just inclusion, because they created what felt like an entire culture around having this be done in action but having it show up in more than just one place. And again, something that doesn't just live and die in a document because yeah, we did it, check the block, keep going. And that's, and when you're talking about, in, you know, inclusivity and then the um, kind of moving into community guidelines, if let's say an, an organization is looking to, to get started, right? They, they see a need for it. They're passionate about it. What's the first, I don't want to say low hanging fruit, but what's something that they could do right now, whether they're working remotely or have shifted to in-person to get started, um, to either create that safe environment if they haven't already, or to start asking these questions? I think, uh, if anything, I think right now with things being remote, if anything, it's more important because you want to make sure that the distance doesn't make people feel any more disconnected or any less heard or seen because you don't have to physically see them. So you don't want them to feel forgotten. And I think the first step in any of this type of work is first actually examining, you know, who is it that is a part of this unit and, and beginning to ask the question because initiating that dialogue, first of all, is saying, hey, I want to know what it is that you have to say, but then actually listening and doing something with it. So I, I yeah. feel like that first part is, you know, again, okay, 
who is included, who is a part of this, and actually including every voice that is contributing, every person who has an act that is a part of the collective whole, and being able to listen to what they say. Because we in our head can tell ourselves whatever story is going to fit that current narrative, whatever outcome we're kind of hoping, and my water bottle goes down, um, <laughs> to kind of examine what's happening at that moment. And so I think, I think it's important to be able to actually ask the question mm-hmm. and let people answer it for themselves and to know that they can honestly answer it. You're amazing. I love that so much. And I, and it sounds so simple, right? At the surface, ask people questions, wait for them to respond, but we don't do it because it's so much easier, right? To either go with what we're thinking or just to make something, you know, it gets, it takes effort and it takes courage and vulnerability to put yourself out there to ask those questions, to get the responses you might not be comfortable with looking at or knowing that you haven't created a space that people want, um, that yeah. it's not safe. It's it's tough. It, it, and it is. And what I try to remind people is that while it is not an easy thing, whatever it is that is bubbling up within you that feels uncomfortable, painful, and it is kind of making you feel like, well, I don't know if I want to a- ask this or hear the answer. Um, I challenge you to then question the person whose response you are in this moment unwilling to kind of receive. How do you feel as though that person is walking through life? What do you think their reality looks like? And how often is it likely that what you feel has just become an innocuous part of their everyday existence. I love that. I think that's, well, everything you've been saying is very solid and concrete advice, but because it's <laughs> usually, right, it's not necessarily we're afraid of collective whole, right? That we're afraid all of these people won't like this thing or what we, but it's maybe a small group of people were nervous, right, to do some reflection on and thinking about why. Why is that? person's response or feedback or that group of people response or feedback making me nervous. Um, you know, how are they living their life? I think it's such a great way to reframe um, and start a very, you know, a vulnerable, but a very productive and proactive conversation. So thank you. Yeah. You're very welcome. <laughs> and how, how can our audience get in touch with you if they're looking, you know, to hire you, to bring you in, to create these um, inclusivity statements or community guidelines or, or really any of the other fabulous work that you've been doing? Of course. So um, website is ericacorday.com. Um, that gives some of the information um, on what I do and, you know, just kind of how these things are facilitated. Sometimes it's within, it's within groups. Uh, so sometimes it's a, a workshop that is kind of helpful in communities to kind of get people thinking differently and facilitate some of these shifts. Um, when someone is really trying to shift their company culture, there's that one-on-one work or work with you and those that are actually doing the implementation within your organization. Um, the you know Instagram, which for some people is a way to kind of take in information, is at Erica Corday. Um, and I also have a podcast, which is Pause on the Play. And Pause on the Play is where there's this very open, honest, and unfiltered conversation around what DEI can actually look like, not only within the business pieces, but the life pieces, because I'm a firm believer that uh, these things that you're uncovering are, are life things, and being able to kind of examine and hear 
how yours may be different from someone else's is very powerful and impactful. Um, the website for that is pauseontheplay.com. And for those that are looking to do this within a community environment, shoulder to shoulder with others that are trying to expand their perspective around these things and have these always not easy conversations, that would be um, Pause on the Play, the community. And that's the kind of opportunity to be in there along with um, my co-host and business partner, India and I. She does visual marketing and visibility. And being able to step in this is definitely related to visibility. So being able to kind of work through that is definitely a part of how this shows up in your business and what you do with it going forward. Yeah. And it's an awesome podcast. I love a big on it and I love listening to it. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. And I, I just love how you also mentioned it's not just a work thing. It's a life thing, uh, not even thing. But, you know, you can't be one person thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion professionally and not take it into consideration in your personal life and who you're hanging out with and spending time with and listening to and taking advice from. I think it all um it's a whole process um, as an as an individual, as a group, and as a community. So I just wanted to thank you so much, Erica, um, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Alyssa. And to our audience, if there's any questions that you wanted to be addressed in a future episode, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Alyssa Carpenter or on Twitter at Not Okay, That's Okay. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.